1: Plug in and get
0: connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation.
1: One's first trip to Asia, it's something hard to forget. The smells, the sounds, the crowds, big cities, wild landscapes, exotic food, a sometimes frenetic pace, tropical beaches, incredible mountains, you're in Asia. We recently got chatting about our early trips to the continent, started to feel old or perhaps well-experienced, and thought it might be fun to recount our initial journeys here, reflect on those first impressions, and contrast it to our current lives and how we see things nowadays. In these two parts, I, then Trevor, will recount our first visits to Asia. Here we go. From Bangkok, Thailand, I'm Scott Coates, and with me as always is... Trevor Ranges in
0: Siem Reap, Cambodia. So, uh, so, Scott, yeah, we've had uh, many years here in the region and we've covered so many different topics and uh you know i i think our first experiences here had been touched on you know like tantalizing travel tales some of those stories are probably from our first or early visits um but we never really dove in and talked about what it was really like for our first time and thought it could be fun
1: yeah your first time trevor it's a a big monumental thing For everyone, so um, I'm curious, I mean, where was your first international trip to? Not necessarily Asia, right?
0: Oh, wow, you know, I don't even know. My sister and I actually had a passport with both of our photos. Like we we had a joint passport when I was like a year old and my sister was two years old, No, maybe not even that old. So we needed the passport for for some reason. So, you know, my mother's Austrian and we might've gone back to visit her father, um, but we also made like numerous trips to like Caribbean and, and and like beaches, Mexico, places like that. So it could have been a beach trip, maybe. I, I'd have to ask my mom and dad.
1: Really, you don't know where your first international trip is. When I say internationals, we're from Canada and America. I'm not going to count my going to America, which I think was technically the first international one. But beyond that, I remember my parents took me to southern Spain. We went to Malaga, Tormelinos and the coast there. So I think Spain at about 10 or 11, I was in grade six was my first international trip. Although I wanna feel and think that it must've been prior to that, but no, I'm pretty sure it was Southern Spain. And I do remember it being kind of wild and seeming a little wacky. And of course, couldn't understand what people were saying and the food was different. I was so picky then I could barely eat. I don't think I eat for multiple days and i remember thinking it was wild that there was topless women on the beach like i didn't quite like women yet but i also was very curious as to why i was curious so yeah that was my first one yeah you know it's
0: interesting those early travels i i remember like instances um so like we went to jamaica once and i remember this waterfall and i remember this soup that we had in Colombia. like we traveled quite a lot when i was a kid so and, and some of those memories, you know, maybe are pieced together from the old photo albums we had that we right. looked at decades later. Um, but I remember a lot of bits and pieces of a lot of those travels. So I think I was kind of introduced to exotic things quite early on. So, you know, you'd think by, I, I think that made me more willing to just, you know, jump into Asia without, really planning or thinking of what I was about to do. Um, And you'd think it would prepare me for a bit of culture shock, but it didn't. Asia still caught me off guard at at every turn on that first voyage. That's a bit
1: of an interesting comment. Like, do you remember the trip or do you remember photos of the trip? And I have early impressions and memories of those trips, but I think you might be right that some of those memories are me remembering looking at photos of those trips. So, huh. That's pretty interesting. But before we get into Trevor interviewing me about that first big uh, trip to Asia, I want to thank Sean L. Sean L. is one of our patrons. Who are patrons, you ask? They're wonderful people that help keep this show going, help cover the expenses, and they have clicked to donate on our homepage or gone to patreon.com and searched the show name. But they donate anywhere from a few dollars a month upwards to help get this going. They get special things like bonus episodes in between these episodes so in between these we have a little banter like recently trevor and i talked and shared some of the funniest news stories around asia the last couple months and i also shared a video of cycling in Praya province in northern thailand so if you like the show help us keep it going please we do need financial support become a patron otherwise trevor would you like to chat about my first trip to asia
0: I would love to. I'm excited to hear the full story. So why don't we kick it off with uh, when was this trip and and what was the inspiration for it?
1: Yeah, you know, when we pitched this out to get thinking about it, like I know this well, but it is also interesting is I studied radio broadcasting for two years at college. And I was DJing and bartending at quite a popular nightclub making lots of tips. I'd passed up taking this radio job in a small little town, mostly because my parents a number of times said, you should save up and go away for a year and travel Australia. They've got this program where you can get a working traveling visa. And I did not bite on the first, second or third time. And my parents had never done this. In fact, I don't think they'd ever been to Asia then. And so they convinced me to, and I saved up the equivalent of about 16,000 Canadian dollars. I got the working traveling visa and I headed off in March, 1993 on a one-year backpacking trip with the focus of being in Australia for 10 of those months and I got a ticket you know around the world ticket with Malaysian Airlines I booked a week in Tokyo so my very first week was going to be in Tokyo then it was going to be off to Singapore I think for a week a month in New Zealand and then Australia for 10 months and you know what's funny is I was a really picky eater then and I had not even really had Chinese food prior to leaving. And I remember a week before that trip going with my parents for like Canadian Chinese food. They went all the time, but I had (laughs) to like get my head around Asian food before I landed in Tokyo for that first week. It's kind of crazy.
0: That's funny just because like now we know that like Chinese food you would get in Canada or America is probably a million miles away from how Chinese food actually tastes in China, right?
1: Nor was I going to China. (laughs) <laughs> yeah,
0: that too, right?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, you know, there's Chinese
0: Singaporeans, as as I guess. You well know, right? Oh, that's cool. Okay, and then uh, who? Was this a solo trip? Did you go with a couple of friends, uh, a girlfriend? Uh, what was the? Who was your travel mate? Good
1: question. And if I'm totally honest, I would not have gone on my own. Like I was too scared, and I was dating a, a woman at the time. And her roommate Tyler decided, yeah, I'd like to do that. I'll go. So we thought, okay, you know what? We'll we'll go for the first couple months together, and then we'll see where things go. So her and I did do uh, Tokyo, and we ended up going to Singapore and then New Zealand. And then when we got to Australia, I guess a bit over two months in, I think we went our separate ways at that point. But along the way, I I met friends, right? So, you know, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself a bit. But when I was in Tokyo at the end of that first week, uh, we decided to sleep in Narita Airport because you're backpackers and it's far away, the airport, and things are expensive. And it turned out all the backpackers that decided to do that, they corralled everyone down to, like, one corner of the terminal. And I met this guy from Vancouver, Jeremy, and his cousin Mark on that. And we ended up uh, traveling together in Hong Kong, was the stop after that. And, well, his name will come up more, but this guy I met, in Narita, we ended up traveling together a lot more down the road. And also... Dan Fraser, who was on the show previously, uh, the owner of Smiley He met me in Sydney, I believe, in June, and we spent a couple months together. So there was a mixed cast of characters, some old and some new friends. That's
0: cool. Because, you know, I mean, meeting people while you're traveling, I think, is one of the cool parts of travel. Sure is. And, uh, you know, like it, it experiencing new things with, with people, whether, you know, you learn new things about old people and uh, and, and you can experience new things with uh, people differently i think so that's kind of fun to mix it up so you want to just take it one by one and tell us like maybe the highlights of each place like when you landed in tokyo that was first stop right you spent a week there Mm uh that's you know if you're going to like okay what's asia gonna be like i guess (laughs) tokyo would be one place where you have like you have some idea because like again we're 1993 right uh my trip was in the 90s as well we didn't have internet we didn't have like access to like research what it was like, you just had seen a bunch of movies over your life, right? And so the the Tokyo of your mind was from, from films, probably, yeah?
1: Yeah, you know, what's strange is I eat a lot of Japanese food now. I don't think I had any idea what Japanese food was, nor had I even seen many movies. Like, I'm not actually even quite sure why I ended up going there. But on the flight to Tokyo, I remember I had bought a Lonely Planet and found some hostel in it. And I think I wired them like $100 and you know, sent a fax or something, just hoping it was going to be there. And on the flight, there was this Japanese guy named Tommy and he lived in LA and he was going back to see his parents. And we talked for hours on this flight and I was concerned about how we were going to find this guest house. And, you know, by the end of the flight, he's like, look, I'll, I'll, I'll make a call and I'll make sure I get you on the right train to get to this place. So we land, we get there unbeknownst to us. He calls his family and they say, yeah, bring these two people home. Oh, I know what it was. He called the place said they never got correspondence from us never got our money which i believe and so we didn't have a room and we're standing in Narita airport and he called his parents and they said yeah bring these two home so it was a friday night at rush hour and we get on the train with him and it was immediately just like the videos you'd seen there was pushers to to squish people into the subway and we spent over an hour on this subway going to i don't know where in the suburbs of tokyo right with this guy I'd just met on the plane Tyler, my traveling companion, was with me. And it was just such an instant, bizarroville, different world. And I have this one real great memory is for about an hour, there was this really tired-looking salary man at the other end of the train. And once in a while, there'd be a bit of eye contact. And just as he goes to get off the train, he looks up at me and he goes, thank God it's Friday. And he just walks off the train. <laughs> and it was one of only a few real interactions, you know, random ones with Japanese people. But... Yeah, that was a really neat way to start that trip. And I think those people put us up for our first two nights and then, you know, helped find us a a kind of a hostel to stay at and then got rid of us. But my first two nights were at this Japanese family's house, which was pretty darn crazy way to start things off.
0: That's yeah that's cool. And you know, it reminded me of a lot of my my first time to Japan, which wasn't my first time to Asia, but it's such an interesting place. And again, the people are so nice and even if you didn't get your room booked, yeah, they didn't rob you or anything, of course. No. Somebody took care of you, which is which is really nice. So that's a great first experience. So I guess that sort of prepared you for Hong Kong. But the again, Hong Kong Chinese are different from Japanese, and that city's got very different vibe i think so what happened when you got to hong kong were you were you ready were you more prepared when you got to hong kong
1: i think uh slightly more i I knew we were going to somewhere different in Asia Town, and that first week in tokyo was great by the way you know we were there for the cherry blossom festival and went to disneyland and had all kinds of cheap set meals but yeah so sleeping in narita airport waiting for that flight to hong kong met this guy jeremy and his cousin mark from vancouver on the same flight and when we arrived in hong kong four of us decided to, you know, combine strengths and find this place to stay. And we ended up getting a room in what's legendary now, King mansions. And it's this pretty tall building that's just got fire trap type, tiny guest houses and like a United Nations worth of nationalities in it, like super fire hazard, super cheap. And yeah, we were around there for a week. And I remember the verticalness of it and the different characters were quite something. It was a little more humid than where we'd been in Tokyo. It was certainly not as developed then. Some pretty wild foods. Uh, the hills there. Yeah, I don't remember a lot more than that. You know, we went to one of these Sea World type places. I think it was called Ocean World. But it was a really cool week, and we also went over to Macau for a day. And this is how much things have changed. We walked up to the border with China. This is thirty years ago, right? And I remember looking through that gate and just thinking how mysterious China on the other side seemed, because at that point Chinese people still, I don't think we're really allowed to travel and it was pretty undeveloped and it just seeming like another planet looking through that gate. So yeah, that was a pretty cool week as well. there like a really great introduction. Like I I was in fully and then can we, before we move on, how did you fare with the food like Japan
0: and Hong Kong real quickly, which one was better for you?
1: You know, I don't even remember what I ate in Hong Kong, to be honest. I remember, do remember we had a you know, that's interesting. pizza once.
0: That's interesting you say that. Sorry to interrupt. Because like my my Thailand, I went to Thailand on my first trip, and I don't remember anything about eating Thai food. <laughs> so it's funny that you don't remember anything either. I
1: do remember in Tokyo, though, we commonly got these sets that had a little bowl of fried rice, a few gyoza and what okay. would have ended up being ramen, right? And it was the equivalent of about $10. And I remember having that many, many, many times. And it was probably some chain restaurant. Huh. Okay. And Hong Kong? I really don't remember. Except for that Domino's pizza yeah, I had once funny. and I had McDonald's once. But I don't remember what I ate in Hong Kong. Huh.
0: Okay. And then you're off to Singapore. Was that stop number three? Another city? Are you doing city, city, city here?
1: Well, here's what happened. So Jeremy okay. and his cousin, Mark, were on the same flight that we were on. But it touches down in KL and then continues to Singapore. And we ended up with the four seats in the middle of the aircraft. You got a picture of four 20-year-olds, right? I think things were looser in those days. And the stewardesses just kept serving us. And we drank Canadian clubs and 7-Up and got absolutely trashed on the flight. And they kind of rightfully so convinced us that a week in Singapore is way too long. You should just get off in KL with us, spend a couple huh. of days in KL, make your way south to Malacca and then to Singapore and so we did yeah. and you know what right before we got off the plane a drink a cocktail was spilled on my passport it was wet there was some of the inks running and i could barely walk and these guys were pushing me on the baggage cart and i remember kind of got myself standing up to get through immigration and i remember the guy barely letting me in and then getting in a taxi when we got downtown i was so loaded my friends and travel companion just put me laying down on our backpacks while they went and found a room and yeah, we spent a few days exploring KL the sites. I remember the KL towers just being built. We went to Batu caves, had some great, you know, Indian Tamil food, probably had some Chinese type food and some Malay food. And just like they recommended, we then, the two of us split off from them and, and sort of said, okay, see you in a couple months in Australia. Uh, when in in Sydney we'll try and hook up like we exchanged I think Jeremy's aunt and uncle lived there and we got their phone number and Tyler and I headed off and to Malacca for a few days which was an old trading port that was really great and then we went to Singapore for a few days and I don't really remember what I ate in Singapore but we you know took buses and went around and looked at the gardens probably and and all that stuff that we do and then it was uh, yeah I guess then it was time to get on this flight to New Zealand where I spent a month and then 10 months in Australia working and traveling around that country but that was sort of the the most of the age of that trip and then I hit a little bit on the way home.
0: What was did, did was it everything that you expected like did it live up to expectations again you didn't know so much beforehand so I don't know if you had expectations what like what, what were the most memorable things or maybe some cultural misunderstandings or something that happened that stick out in your mind.
1: Well, you know what I'll just hang on there is that I I, Well, I mean, to answer your question, then I'll tag on a bit before we go further. Is I think it's that classic, you don't know what you don't know. And I had seen Chuck Norris, Missing in Action Movies, and Rambos, and a few others. But I don't really think I knew very much about Asia beyond what you learn in school, you know? And then a formative part of that trip was the last week. So my flight back had to route through KL. So I booked, you know, a week stop in KL. And I think on the flight to KL, I met this kind of what I look back on. He was older than me by probably a decade. And he was slightly hippied and tattooed. And he was going back to Koh Phangan. He'd been at Koh Phangan and had to get out of Thailand, I think, to get a new tourist visa. He was in KL. And we met at a guest house or something. That's how it was. And he said, yeah, man, I'm going to be at Rainbow Bungalows. You can stay with me in Rainbow Bungalows if you get up there. So I told him I'd be there in a few days. And I took a bus from KL up to Suratani and then a boat overnight. And I really clearly remember still rocking up in the dark on the boat and then getting on a song tale, like kind of a truck with seats in the back down this bumpy dirt road. Told the driver I'm going to Rainbow Bungalows. And he tells me to get out. And there's chickens squawking and there's, you know, palm trees all around. And the sun is just starting to come up. And he told me that somehow he told me the room number he'd have. And I looked and I knocked on the door and he got up and he fired up a joint. I'd only had a couple of joints in my life at that point. And I spent the next week smoking joints with him. And I, I wear a ring to this day that I bargained with a Mexican on the beach for one week. And I paid him the price we started at. Yeah. And we went to Koh Samui at the, for the last couple of days. So I think that really, that was my first time to Thailand. And after 10 months in, in Australia and then those initial Asia experiences of Japan, Hong Kong and uh KL in Singapore, it was really exotic and really different and definitely primed me for future trips. Like I went back to see my friend Dan in 95, two years later, because he was working for the Royal Family of Thailand. But I had those smells and, and those impressions at the end of my trip and kind of that reluctance of coming home, I think, because I went back to university. And so hitting Pangan, Kosamui, Samui and that at the end really just, I think, put the lifelong travel fire in my gut.
0: Okay, and and it definitely made you want to come back to Asia. Like, were there, were there things that like you'd heard about while you were there? Like, oh, like you know, you should go to Kota or oh, you didn't like you did to go to visit this place. You know, like while you're in the field, that you're like, oh, I got to go back there someday. Did you get to make like a, a bucket list?
1: Yeah, I think I had it on my list to get back to. You mentioned Koh Tao. Koh Tao was right above uh, Kopangan. I think I'd heard about that but didn't make it. So I thought, oh wow, I, I really want to go there. And I'd heard of Chiang Mai and you know Thailand's northern mountain towns and hill tribes and stuff, and I hadn't experienced that. And I'd never experienced Bangkok. So when Dan was living in Bangkok, I knew, like, oh, I'm going to go see Dan, and we're going to experience Bangkok. We're going to go up to Chiang Mai and do, like, a hill tribe trek, and I'll, I'll get back to a beach and get to uh, – we did go to Koh Tao in the end. And, and so that was all real exciting. But also that same trip, strangely, that Jeremy guy – that I met in a airport, joined me for that trip and came over and visited Dan. And then he and I went off to Vietnam for three weeks and boy, in 95, there wasn't that many travelers there and it was rough, rougher travels, right? Like it was, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy at that time. Like it was lots of bicycles, no cars, some motorbikes. I remember changing money at the bank in Hanoi the first day and walked out with like a bag full of money because the currency denominations were so small. And, um, yeah, it really did pave the way for a lot. I remember, you know, Thai food and super spicy chilies and having probably what was pad thai or some other noodles, right? And it, and I think once you get home, it seems almost like a dream because you get back to Canada and what was the very much developed world compared to Asia at that time, and it just all seems so bloody exotic. Yeah, you know,
0: it's weird. Like, again, this is a couple decades back, right? Three. Uh, again like you, you you can't remember every day of all of those travels right you, you remember scenes or, or experiences like to me it's almost like thinking back to your first trip to spain or something like you you have like the same like maybe memories of certain things that occurred but not all of it like you couldn't remember the food that you had in hong kong and i bet there's right. some other things you forgot from here or there you know um i don't know did you bring back any souvenirs that that helped you remember other than the ring that ring's a good one though
1: I'm sure I did. Um, you know, the ring's a good one because, again, I, I'm wearing it right now. I think I had some, you know, like, goofy, too big, puffy pants with, like, a hill tribe pattern on them that seemed like an awesome purchase. <laughs> elephant pants. Were, you did you
0: were the first They weren't elephant pants. Let's elephant be pants. clear. They weren't elephant <laughs> pants, but they
1: had a hill tribe pattern. And I think I probably wore them a couple of times when I was back in Canada. And then you realize, yeah, these things aren't really going to fly. Um, I can't remember them beyond that, you know, souvenir wise. But boy. Since then, again, you know, that Vietnam trip and been to Japan five times after that. And of course, you know, it, it really set the pace for ultimately moving to Asia. Like, I, my parents have never been able to give me a good answer because I've asked them. I said, you'd never traveled for a year. You'd never been to Asia. Like, why did you keep pushing that idea? And had they not pushed that, there's no way that I would be in Bangkok talking to you now. Like, none of this life in Asia would have happened. It just would not have. So that trip really, and I didn't know it at that time because I went on to go back to university and study television, news journalism for four years, right? And was offered a job and then had the idea to start Smiling Novino. So at that time, I was still four plus years away from embarking on life in Asia. And I, and I had no idea that it, yeah, would even be a possibility, right? But it is interesting how that trip definitely pivoted and just shifted my whole direction in life without knowing it huh
0: yeah that's good thanks don and sharon great Mm -hmm. job getting scott on his feet and out the door and exploring the world which seems to have been his destiny you still in touch with uh jeffrey uh jeremy jeremy i'm sorry you still friends jeremy yeah
1: yeah. i am still friends with him, and i realize now you met him at my wedding i'm I'm completely forgetting this that he was at my wedding yeah as well he was in kind of the, the, the groom's party, if that's what you call it. So he and I... I believe I recall, yes. Yeah. You know what's funny is we've been friends now 30 years. I see him every single time I go back to Canada. He usually picks me up at the airport in Vancouver. Um, in fact, just this past summer for my 50th birthday, he and his wife and some other people, uh, we did a trip on Nukta Island on the west coast of Vancouver Island. So yeah, he and I, he is one of my best friends in the world. And I met him sleeping in my first country in Asia at the start of that year trip. Um, There's another woman, Monique, who I met in Australia on that trip. She's from Holland. Her and I are still very good friends 30 years later. And, you know, some of those impressions, like I remember, you know, landing in the tropics. And I remember this in Thailand, but it was also in KL is coming out and the smell of that hot, humid air. And there's just a wet tropical smell in the air. That's like the developing world. I don't, know how to describe it. Like Phnom Penh has a smell. Bangkok has a smell. KL has a smell. Also that idea that being somewhere where there was tropical beaches within a couple hours reach, and that's just kind of something available. That was wild. And also the fact that, you know, you never knew what you were going to see every day you went out. Like you saw multiple things that were the weirdest thing you could have ever tried to dream up that you would see. Right. And that just as stuff that happens every day and it still (laughs) happens right and i guess the fact that there's every budget every style here and still to this day right like southeast asia in particular you can have the cheapest plate of great food on the side of the road or you can go to the fanciest of restaurants or you can be in a super swish skyscraper with an incredible hotel or you can sleep for a few dollars a night so those are impressions then that actually carry over now still
0: Yeah. Again, it wasn't my first trip to Asia, but my first trip to Japan, again, I stayed in some kind of homestay and and some other backpacker guy was going to splurge on fugu, the the poisonous blowfish, you know, that's really expensive. (laughs) But uh, yeah. (laughs) Right. Um, but the other thing I wanted to mention, just the smell thing is great as well, because I was actually yeah. thinking about that yesterday because I, I, I took a deep breath and I was like, oh, this is what Cambodia smells like. And I thought I was like, yeah, how is it different from how Bali smells? And there is differences. And I could I, I could think about it, which was kind of cool. But the other thing, just staying in touch with uh, Jeremy again, we take it for granted how easy that is now. But like back in those days, you would have got each other's home addresses and maybe the phone numbers, but you were yeah. unlikely to make an international phone call to talk to somebody. You'd probably like write him a letter and then he'd write you back. And then over the years, you'd eventually communicate by email. But know, uh, yeah, it's interesting meeting people back in those days because I lost touch with people in my early travels just because it, it, it was so much harder to keep in touch back then.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. And you know, when... We split up from Jeremy and his cousin in in KL. He Yeah, he did give me his aunt and uncle's phone number in Sydney in an area called Coogee. And we kind of said the dates would be around there. And I called that number and someone answered the phone. And they came down to my guest house. And actually, I had gone to bed and someone woke me up in the room and said, hey, there's someone throwing rocks at the window asking for you. And I looked out and it was Jeremy and Mark and their cousin drunk and say, like, come on out and have a drink. And and then his aunt and uncle had me over. So, yeah, it was absolutely phone numbers and addresses. And you're right. For many years after that, it must have been phone calls and letters, right? Because there was not email yeah. then or we didn't have it. No.
0: And as I, one more thing on that, just because we we're talking about your mom and dad inspiring you to go on this trip. But like, how did you keep in touch with them? Did you call like every week or did you touch base at least once in every country because even back then you couldn't just fire people an email you had to like find a place to make a call and call did you, did you check in every once in a while
1: yeah good question you know um it was those kind of phone booths and when i say a phone booth like not a phone booth but with a human there was businesses around places you would stay that you could pay whatever it was a minute it, right? to make a call and when i was in asia i, I called really quickly home and then in Australia, I got a prepaid card and would go to pay phones and, and use it. And then GPOs was awesome. Like I remember, you know, you'd yep. say, hey, I'm going to be over in Perth at this time or I'll be in Hong Kong. I remember going to the GPO in Hong Kong, which was only two weeks into my trip. But my parents must have sent a letter early or something. And you go in and you give your name and yeah, there's a letter waiting for you. And so that kind of continued on through the trip. And you'd go places and then once in a while, there wouldn't be a letter for you. And you'd be just so down because you're kind of homesick and you've been waiting for a letter so mm-hmm. yeah times were different man it was a really different way of travel it was a really fantastic trip and when i look back at it now like what a crazy list of places to go really quickly with no literally no idea of what i was going to see or experience there the people or the food or anything and uh it all worked
0: yeah you know it's funny because uh my, my my story is somewhat similar and uh if, if, if people are going to have to wait a couple of weeks to hear about my first trip. But it was the same kind of thing. I didn't really do any planning beforehand. I didn't know what I was getting into. And uh, and and that almost made it more fun.
1: What a great experience. And, and I knew it was special, but like most things, it's not until you get older that you realize how precious that is. Like when else in your life are you going to have a year and be single and have a bunch of cash you made that you can just burn selfishly and all that. So Thank you, Don and Sharon. Yeah, you kind of called it out for doing that. And thank you, every one of you for listening to this show. Remember, if you like it, literally Trevor and I don't, you know, pocket cash on this show. Everything we get goes to just keeping it running and good people like Sean L do. So Click donate, go to Patreon, become a patron like Sean L and get those special in between these episode bonus episodes, hear us talk about other weird stories, places we've been catch the videos, et cetera. So yeah, thanks for the chat, Trevor. And I'm looking forward to doing the same with you on a episode very soon to hear about your first trip to Asia.
0: Yeah, I think it's a a fun idea, and I'm glad you shared uh, some of your adventures with me. I think there's probably a few things we left out in a 30-minute episode, but I imagine that in future episodes when we're talking about Japan or we're talking about Hong Kong that uh, you'll remember something else, and it'll come up in the conversation with one of our guests. So stay tuned. We'll be back uh, in two weeks with a guest uh, talking about something... Interesting about where they traveled or lived. So thanks for listening.
1: Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Tom, and